Thank you for joining me as we continue our study in the book of Joshua. A book that is very relevant as God took his children from Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years and by many signs and wonders proved to them that his great God who is able to save them and make them fit for his kingdom. They disobeyed and wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Even Moses, their leader, died and was buried. Many, many, many of the older generation died, except two, Joshua and Caleb. And now Joshua has taken the lead. God performed a very wonderful act to show that he is a God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord over everything. And now he has taken them to the banks of the Jordan for them to cross. Can he do it? Can the Lord do it? Can the Lord empower Joshua? Yes, the Lord did it. And all glory went to him because Joshua couldn't have done it by himself. Now they are about to enter the promised land. What are they supposed to do? These things are written down as our examples that they can lead us and guide us and direct us. And so as the Lord blesses us to share his word, may we learn the lessons that will guide us so that we can consecrate ourselves to him in Jesus' name. Amen. So God, in chapter 5, is still coaching the Israelites. We saw last week how they crossed the river Jordan. And if I were in their position, we said, now that we've crossed the Jordan, let us straight away go and occupy the land. But we see that this is not God's plan. God is not just interested in our crossing and possessing our possessions. God wants to possess us first. So, we are asked to be possessed by God. He's never in a hurry. He's a God who knows all things, but who wants to make us fit for his kingdom. He has some unfinished business to do in their lives. He had to work on their spiritual character. He had to work on their consecration. So as the people gather in a place called Gilgal, and take note of that name Gilgal, the circle where they were gathered, Gilgal, where they put the rocks, Gilgal, where they built an altar, God wanted them to do something else, something else, something very significant. Four things happened around this Gilgal. We saw three, but I'll go through them again, and we'll see the last one, so that we can take the whole of chapter 5 together again. First, God wanted them to renew their circumcision. Many, many of them, in fact, I should say, almost none of them, apart from the older Joshua and Caleb, had been circumcised. But God has said this circumcision was to be a sign that they are his people. In the ancient times, people were not circumcised. Even if they were circumcised, it was just a ritual for hygienic purposes. But as far as Israel was concerned, God chose Abraham. And God commanded Abraham to circumcise his children, himself, and everybody to show that there is a covenant between them. When there's a contract, there's an offer, there's an acceptance, and then there's something that you do to show that you have accepted it. God asked Abraham to do that. And this circumcision was done. And it became a sign that these are the people of God. So the circumcision became a sign or a symbol of their contract. God said in Genesis chapter 17, verse 11, you must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
So the Jews over and over and over again were circumcised to show that they had a relationship with God. Anytime they felt that pain, anytime they went through those things, it was sure to remind them of the covenant that they had with God. Let me just digress a bit and say, yes, Jesus Christ said, the Lord's Supper, the shedding of his blood, the giving of his flesh is the sign of the new covenant. So for us in the New Testament, there can be circumcision, but the sign of our covenant is receiving the Lord's table. And that is why we are not to take it lightly. So when God instructed Abraham that every male in his household, as well as every male descendant of his must be circumcised, Abraham did it immediately. Now, Israel had crossed the Jordan. They are ready to go to the land. But God said, no, wait. Get them to be circumcised. Well, God is saying, before I fight your battles in Canaan, you must have the mark of the covenant on your flesh. And Joshua understood that this is a very, very important covenant. A very important mark to show their relationship with God. And I tell you, it is it's a very painful ritual to have even children, baby boys, circumcised. And they cry over and over and over again. Now God is saying all the men, all the men who possibly can fight their enemies should be circumcised. And the amazing thing is that Joshua was willing to obey and the people were also willing to obey. The men were willing to obey. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 34. You read that chapter, you see the children of Jacob. Jacob had many, many sons, but he had a, a daughter called Dina, or Dinah, as you may call it. When he came into contact with some of the people who were their neighbors, one of the elders, the kings, fell in love with their sister and had sex with the sister and now decided they were going to marry the sister. And these children of Jacob, knowing their relationship with God, said, we, we, we cannot allow our sister to be married to you. So even though the father was hurt and was willing to talk to these people, the boy said, no way. The only way we can accept this man to get married to our sister is that they must be circumcised. And they talked to them, and people said, oh, fine. We, we, can, we can become neighbors if that's the only thing you require. So these adult men were circumcised. You read from Genesis 34, verses 24 to 25. You read, All the men who assembled at the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Sekim. Every male who assembled at the city gate was circumcised. Now read this, verse 25. In three days, when they were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers each took his sword and went to the unsuspecting city and slaughtered every, every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword, took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. Jacob's sons killed them and looted the city because their sister had been violated. They took their flocks, herds, and donkeys as well as everything in the city and their surrounding fields. They captured and planted all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, including everything in their houses. Now, 
This is the account of what happened when the men of the city were circumcised. Three days, they were helpless. Can you imagine this? God is telling a military general who knows this story, get all the men to be circumcised. It took faith. It took faith for Joshua to believe in God. It took faith in God for the people to allow themselves to be circumcised. They had crossed the Jordan. They are now in Gilgal. The next city in front of them is the city of Jericho, a formidable city. What were they thinking? But you see, obedience is better than sacrifice. And they were willing to obey God. And they did obey God. And God protected them. Because it is God who protects us. God who provides for us. So, God allowed them to be there. They healed completely. It was a time of meditation. A time of prayer. A time of knowing without God's help. They are completely at the mercy of their enemies. But they chose to do that. And they did. After they finished that God said, it is now time for you to celebrate the Passover. The Passover that marked their deliverance from bondage. Again, this was part of their tradition, showing how God rescued them. This was first observed in Egypt the night before their deliverance from bondage, and then the second time in Mount Sinai, just before they broke camp and moved towards Canaan. And now God is asking them in Gilgal to celebrate it again. The recent crossing of the Jordan gave them memories of how God caused them to cross the Red Sea. And that had been part of their tale. But now they can see that God has helped them again. Now those in Canaan can still hear and the awful death and Christ of the Egyptians who were born in Egypt, who died on the Passover. But now the children of Israel can say, we are celebrating this Passover to show how God delivered us and how he can continue to deliver us. They were relieved. They remembered the past and retold the story of God's deliverance in Egypt. And they were sure that the God who had helped them in the past will help them in the present as well as in the future. So be circumcised, celebrate the Passover as well. But another exciting thing, as we saw last week, and I'm just going over it again for a reminder that God is a God of order. God is a God of principle. God knows what he's doing. And therefore, when he says, follow his instructions, you must follow. The morning after they had eaten the Passover, they were prepared for battle. <laughs> they were ready. Now we are ready. God has delivered us. But I said, God, God, no, okay, wait, wait. Men, women, wait. Now, you are to go and have a harvest. Since you have now come to the land, look, you came at the time of harvest. The Jordan has flown over its banks and all the places, lush, green, harvest time, go and harvest whatever is there and eat it. Since they gave evidence of wanting to be fully obedient to the law of God, it was probable that they first brought a wave offering of a sheaf of grain prescribed in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10 and 4, verse 10 to 14. God says, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I am giving you and reap its harvest, the barley harvest, 
you are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. You wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest is to wave on the day after the Sabbath. On that day, you are to offer a year old male and a burnt offering to the Lord. His grain offering is to be four quarts and it goes on and on. You must not eat bread, roasted grain, or any new grain, grain, or bread from your new harvest until this very day and until you have brought the offering to your God. This is to be a permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. So God was clear what he had told them. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I am giving you and reap its harvest, the barley harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf to your priest to sacrifice before me. Can you imagine it? Before they entered the land, before they could say Jack, God had already planted a field for them. And God is now saying, just go there and harvest. And when you harvest, make sure you bring the first one to me. Wave it before me. Give it to the priest as a sacrifice. What a God we serve. He has prepared many, many things for us. But he wants us to acknowledge that he is a provider. He is a protector. He is the good God. Even up to today, God wants us to know that when he blesses us, the first fruit should come to him. Our tithe, our offering, everything should come to him first to acknowledge that he is the king, he is the provider, he is the one who gives us breath. In him we live and move and have our being. And for this Israelite, he said, Look, eat the produce of the land and sacrifice to me and let it be a blessing. God had promised to bring Israel into the land of abundance, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, Deuteronomy 8.8. 8. Now at last, they had come to the land, but before they could eat it, they had to sacrifice to him. For 40 years, they ate manna, but now suddenly the manna ceased, and they had to now work till the land and begin to eat what God said they would eat. They had to till the ground, and God will bless the work of their hands. What a God we have. What a God we serve. What a God of order. Are you serving him? What is he telling you to do? And are we careful to do them? Or because we think we are under grace, we do anything that we want to do. God says, don't fornicate. You fornicate because everybody is doing. Don't steal. You steal because it doesn't matter. Nobody sees you. Honor your parents. You don't honor them. Give me your first fruits. You don't. Because Christ has died for you, Christ is this and that. No. God gave them the order and God stopped them from just rushing to the land because he wanted first their relationship with him to be established. He had to establish that God should be first in our lives. Friends, God is God and we must worship him and we must serve him, and we must obey him. But then we see something else that had happened. Three things that happened, and they were very important in the life of the people of Israel. But now something was going to happen to the leader, Joshua. And that is a very humbling one. A very humbling one, we read 
from the account, Genesis chapter 5, from verse 13 to 15. 13 to 15, we read what happened to Joshua. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Hmm. Friends, just as we have seen, three events, the rite of circumcision, the celebration of the Passover, and the eating of the produce, all of this were to build Israel up, to connect them to God, to know that they are God's children, and to strengthen them. But now, God is dealing with the leader alone, Joshua. And that was an experience. Joshua has brought them this far. They are locked. The Jordan is behind them, and Jericho is in front of them, and they have to fight through Jericho to go to Canaan, where they are formidable enemies. Joshua has been there, and he's seen the giants, the big, big giants. He knows, and they are still there. How is he going to do it? Forty years on now, he has aged. He's now become older. Yes, he may have been a more experienced military general, but he knows. How is he going to lead these people who had no ammunition, who had not fought any proper war before? How are they going to fight? If there were some of them who were recruited and have fought in the Egyptian army, they are now all died. Now, what is Joshua to do? He had not got any divine message, any divine instruction yet after crossing the Jordan. So, well, what would any normal human being do? He would go out and be wondering. And perhaps Joshua went out in thought and in prayer asking God, what am I supposed to do? Yes, the spies in Kadesh Barnea had reported that the walls are large with walls to the sky. His own two spies had come and said, yes, it's a formidable city. So, despite Joshua's long experience, that fortified city, he knew it would not be easy. Because, he said, the people didn't have anything to fight with. The only weapons they may have had were maybe bows and arrows and slings and spears. And they were the straws. How do you use those ones to fight and win Jericho? And beyond that, go to Canaan. So, now two million people were behind waiting for the leader. Friends, leadership is not easy. That's why we have to pray for our leaders to have the courage, to have the wisdom, to have the direction that God can give them. What were the women to do? The children, the goods, the cattle, they are now at Gilgal, exposed to certain destruction. If the people were to march on them, would they run them into the Jordan or they'll be able to run and overcome the people? He was pondering all these things. And then suddenly, 
he lifted up his eyes and he saw a soldier brandishing his sword. And when he saw it, just wondering, who is this? Where from this soldier? Is it one of the people from Jericho or is it one of his own people? And he said, who are you? Who are you? And he knew he was not in a trance because he was walking and he was meditating. He wasn't looking. If the stranger were an enemy, Joshua was ready to fight. If he's a friend, I said, why did you leave the camp and what do you want here? Why are you holding a sword? And he got a response. When he asked, are you a friend or an enemy? He got a response. A response that gladdened his heart. A response. A response that shows that God has not abandoned him. A response that shows that God opened his eyes to see. The response said, verse 40, I am neither a friend nor an enemy. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Hallelujah. Something occurred that convinced Joshua that this is not just a normal soldier. Just like God opened the eyes of Abraham under the oak of Mamre. God was at, with Jacob in Peniel, Moses in the burning bush, and the disciples were on the road to Emmaus. Joshua had seen a revelation. It was clear that he was talking to the angel of the Lord, who later on we can identify as a king of kings, as the Lord himself. By the way, Joshua is a Hebrew, and Jesus is Greek. The same name, the same name. But let's not jump ahead of ourselves. The man introduces himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. That's the one who was fighting who would fight and who would continue to fight for the people of Israel. And the sword shows that God's long-suffering judgment will be delivered, that God is able to fight against the Amorites, the Hivites, the Hittites, and all these people who were in the land. He's now ready to fight them. He's ready to fight them. And Joshua is to know that even though he's a general, <laughs> there's a commander general, that should take the order from. What kind of divine commander is this? He says he is the commander of the army of the Lord, which means he was not limited to the army of Israel, but he had more and more people. He had an angelic host who were with him who could fight. Just like Elisha prayed to God, open the eyes of my servant so that he will see. And when he saw, he cried, Oh! Those who are for us are more than those who are against us. He saw and realized, oh God is truly with us. Friends, just as like the Lord has promised us, we as believers, we have to know that there are people and ministering angels who minister to us. Hebrews 1.14 say, these angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are to inherit salvation? They are still around. Angels are still around, sent by God to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us, so we can become overcomers. That's why many love and sing that song, Captain of Israel's host and guide. He is the captain. He is the captain. He is the Lord. So what did Joshua do? When Joshua heard the voice, he recognized that he was dealing with a heavenly visitor who had drawn his sword 
and was told, Just you are on holy ground. Remove your sandals from your feet, for this is a holy ground where you are standing. And what did that general do? He fell down. He worshipped God. He fell on his feet and said, Lord, speak. Your servant, hear it. And he committed himself to the Lord and said, Lord, touch me. Lord, use me. Lord, fill me. Lord, truly, let me be a servant that you can use. And God used him. The presence of the holy God sanctified the spot where he was. And you see, this is holy ground. Because wherever God encounters us becomes a holy place. This was a deeply significant experience for Joshua. He had anticipated a battle between two opposing armies, the Israelites and the Canaanites. Now he has been told that there is a general in charge of the battle. And this general is no other general from this world, but from out of the world. He's the divine commander of the Lord's army. The top general of the Lord's army had come not to be an idle spectator in this conflict, not even to be an ally. He was in complete charge and would shortly reveal his plans for capturing Jericho, that fearsome city, that fearful city, that city that could boast of walls and chariots that had taunted so many, that city that he sent people to, who he was told they were already afraid of him. Now face to face, he's learning that, hey, Joshua, you may have received all the promises, but you are not the one going to fight this battle. God himself is going to fight this battle. How comforting that would have been for Joshua. That he need not bear the heavy burden alone. He need not bear the responsibility alone. He removed his sandals and gladly acknowledged that the battle and the entire conquest of Canaan was God's conflict. And he was merely a servant. Friends, the battles that we pass through in the world, the things that we fight, the things that scare us, the poverty, the sicknesses, the economic troubles, and all the political wars and everything, anything that happens. If the Lord will open our eyes and will submit to him as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords, and he will give us his divine strategy, we'll be winners, we'll be victorious. Friend, have you given your life to this Lord to guide you, to lead you, and to direct you? If you haven't, can say, Lord, today I give my life to you that you'll be my Lord, my King, my Messiah. Jesus, I give my life to you. Save me and lead me and direct me. But if you've given your life to him, are you following him? Are you a fully functioning disciple of Christ, trusting him, asking him daily in prayer, in fasting, in meditation, in doing your bit, knowing that he's a God who wants a relationship with him first? Through the celebration of your consecration, through the victory of the Passover, and through the work of your hand that he blesses, you can be sure the captain of Israel's host and guide is with you. Oh, can you meditate on that song and sing it to the Lord and worship him? And let more songs of worship flow through you, and prayers of thanksgiving flow through you, and songs of faith flow through you. Captain of the Lord is ready to guide you. Can you say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Open my ears to hear you. 
open my mouth to declare you. But above all, give me the confidence to go through this world, knowing that you are with me always, even up to the end of the age. God bless you and have a great week in his presence. Amen.